On Monday, July 27th, 2020, I conducted a series of live streaming interviews to discuss voting rights, voter suppression, and the upcoming 2020 election. This was one of those interviews. In this episode, I'm speaking with attorney Perry Grossman. Perry Grossman is a voting rights attorney. He focuses on litigation and advocacy efforts concerning voting rights and election law issues. Hi, Maya. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm an unholy mess, but happy to see you. <laughs> hmm, that seems to be the mood for everybody, but especially the line of work you're in. It just comes with the territory, right? Um, uh, you know, I, I mean, honestly, I can't even imagine you're sleeping at all right now. Do you sleep as a voting rights lawyer? Do you get sleep right now? I do. You can see the the indentation in my desk where my face <laughs> usually plants into it. So it's getting quite comfy. It's got a nice soft spot for my nose. I I no. <laughs> I just I told everyone yesterday. I did a little intro about you, and um, I said, you know, you're a great lawyer when you still have a sense of humor, and you do still because especially. You know, we're up against so much right now, and I know that lawsuits are are already flying, and they're about to fly. So I'm glad you're spending the time with me because I want people to have a better understanding about this and what is going on. And I really want to talk about this election, about what's happening, because what's especially happening in Florida is incredibly confusing. Um, we know that, um, they, before 2018, you were arrested and convicted and went to prison, you lost your right to vote. And there are still a few states that have that. Most states have given, um, most states have gotten better about that, but we still have a few states that do that, right? We have Kentucky, we have Virginia, we have Iowa. Is there another state that I'm missing? No, I think, still- I think th- there was a fourth. For some reason, it's not coming to mind. But uh, at least in Kentucky and Virginia, the governors have, have gone out of their way to restore voting rights to people uh, formerly convicted of felonies. I believe there was uh, some effort to relieve that as well in Iowa. I can't remember okay. if it was gubernatorial uh, action or legislative action. But I think the places that are permanently disenfranchising people uh, is really is really smaller than ever before. I think people are starting to realize just how how awful it is to alienate somebody from the political process permanently um, because they may have made a mistake, even a bad mistake, at some point in their life. To exclude okay. somebody from the body politic is a, a really not just a, a big deal, but it's incredibly counterproductive. Mm-hmm. If you want to reintegrate people and make them productive, bring them all the way back in, make them, you know include them as much as possible. Right. Absolutely. So in Florida, uh, a lot of Florida voters felt the same way. And they said, we want to make sure that people, the reentrants, the formerly incarcerated, they're coming back 
in and we want to give them the, the right to vote again. And then immediately you saw a backlash to that in the form of a basic poll tax. Yeah. Um, for people that haven't been able to keep up with this story, could you explain a little bit about what Amendment 4 was and where, um, and where they are now about giving um, reentrants the rights to vote? We did see LeBron James the other day saying he would throw down about $100,000. I don't know if that's going to cover it, but I would like to hear. It, it will not, but everything's a start, right? So, so right. first you have to consider, right, Amendment 4 was a constitutional amendment to the Constitution of the state of California, right? Not, not only do we have the federal constitution, but every state has its own constitution. Um, and it was an amendment passed by an enormous bipartisan majority, a 65% margin, agreeing that uh, people who've been convicted of felonies should be able to have their right to vote um, restored. And right, right that, that uh, I believe, touched about 1.4 million or so Florida voters. Um, and Republicans did not like the idea of an expanding electorate. They had been opposed to the idea of expanding electorate uh, everywhere. Uh, at some point, you and I will talk about voting by mail and why their refusal or, or their, their effort to shrink the electorate might be counterproductive for them. But right, right on Amendment 4, so what they try to do is to, uh, when, when the people of the state of Florida vote to amend the Constitution to expand the electorate, Republicans in the state legislature and the governor uh, pass a law to require everybody um, who has been convicted of a felony, they can't have their right to vote restored until they've paid all of their fines and fees. Um, this can get to be a lot of money for some people. And not just that it's a lot of money, but you are conditioning the right to vote on someone's ability to pay money. And in a lot of cases, not just to pay money, but to pay an amount of money that even the state can't determine. And so... Mm. Uh, a number of different groups, the ACLU, uh, the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund, the Brennan Center for Justice, uh, I believe Campaign Legal Center, I can cover them all day, um, sued the state of Florida and won a judgment at the district court um, recognizing that this was in fact a poll tax. Um, unfortunately, Judge Hinkle did not realize or didn't find that this is also um, deeply racially discriminatory, right? right? Voter disenfranchisement laws absolutely have their roots in Jim Crow. Um, mm-hmm. And we have seen a, a frustrating ret- uh, retreat in the courts from recognizing what discrimination on the basis of race is. Um, mm-hmm. That's another topic we could spend easily an entire session on. But Judge Hinkle mm-hmm. did recognize that this is a poll tax, that um, mm-hmm. if you have two people charged with the same crimes, owing the same fines, their only difference uh, in terms of their access to their right to vote is their ability to pay. That is um, a distinction on the basis of wealth. It is a poll tax. It is repugnant to the 24th Amendment of the Constitution. So that district court order um, was appealed to the 11th Circuit. The 11th Circuit uh, stayed the order uh, pending appeal. So that that case still needs to get argued. Unfortunately, the Supreme Court did not lift the stay, but... um, you know, we still expect that the case is going to get argued and hopefully decided in time for um, people to be able to vote in this election. And I want people to understand that you, when you said um, trying to figure out what is owed is very difficult. So I feel like this is a tactic in itself, right? We're not going to be able to figure out what's owed. So 
we don't know um, how to restore their rights. I do want to go ahead and touch on vote by mail since you mentioned it, because we have seen this um, being said, um, we're not going to expand the right. It's so bizarrely counterproductive, as you said, because Republicans have trained their base for many decades to vote by mail. So what is going on with the lawsuits with voting by mail and expanding absentee ballot access? I know that's like, you can't answer that one sentence because <laughs> there's so many, but just a, just a little bit so people can kind of wrap their heads about what's happening with that right now. Sure, there's been, there's been a, a flurry of lawsuits all over the country, most of them offensive, trying to get more voters the right to vote by mail in order to preserve public health so we can uh, prevent scenes like the ones we saw in Milwaukee in April with five polling places and lines down the block and uh, COVID cases popping up in the aftermath um, to make, more, make sure that more people have the ability to, to vote from home. Um, and to really spare voters, poll workers, their families, all, all of that uh, additional exposure uh, to the virus. Um, we've also seen uh, lawsuits brought by Republicans against states like California um, that are working to make um, vote by mail more available to try and to try and, um, and, and shrink. Okay. So, you know, the, the, the offensive lawsuits by, by, by groups like the ACLU have had you know, mixed, mixed success. Some places, um, courts have found uh, a voter entitlement to, uh, to absentee ballots, or at least they've alleviated some of, the, um, uh, some of the requirements, right? So there are some states that require an absentee voter to have a witness sign their, their, their ballot as well. Uh, that's a condition that's been alleviated in some places. But you know, some courts have been reluctant to expand the right to vote. Texas is probably the most prominent example um, which is really unfortunate because right now, Texas is, uh, along with Florida, the, the COVID hotspot of the world. But, mm -hmm. um, you know, but also in California, um, you know, the Republicans lawsuit was shot down. They dismissed it. Um, and so the battle, the battle is very ongoing to see uh, who's going to have access to, to vote by mail for, for public health purposes. But, um, you know, we are seeing some states um, expand it legislatively. Uh, New York actually just passed a law. Um, we're waiting for the governor to sign it that would uh, give everybody access to vote by mail in November. So that's good. Hopefully that um, alleviates some of the problems that we saw in June where mm -hmm. folks had trouble getting their ballots on time. And, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. To, it's difficult to scale up a system that's designed to have people vote in person and transition mm -hmm. it to vote by mail overnight. I know a lot of people think, well, you just stick a bunch of things in the mail, then you mail them back. What's so complicated about that? Um, but money, you know, paper, yeah. cost. <laughs> but it is, it is, it is complicated. It does take a lot of effort, and just it takes a lot of public education as well. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's there's a bunch of states where uh, absentee ballots typically make up less than ten percent of all votes, and mm -hmm. those states, some of those states at least, um, like my state here in New York. You know, we're switching from like 5% absentee to like 50 to 75% absentee. Wisconsin's right. the same thing in April. Um, so that kind of big transition can be very difficult to manage. And, you know, we need, we need to work to try and get absentee ballots out sooner, get those applications in, make sure they're fulfilled, um, you know, keep our, 
uh, our boards, the uh, boards of election keep their feet to the fire to make sure that they're paying attention to uh, requests as they get them and, um, you know, checking up on our friends and family, see if they've gotten their ballots yet. If not, making sure that there's arrangements available. Agreed. And I got my ballot, even though I um, asked for it the moment I could, I got mine like a two days before I got it in. So it was fine, but that was really frustrating. And I talked to a lot of New Yorkers that just didn't get it at all. Um, you did mention right polling now. locations. What did you say? Oh, I said, you're talking to one right now. Exactly. Oh my gosh. I mean, it really was frustrating because I was just like, well, maybe I'm not going to have to go to my polling place. Speaking of polling locations, um, a lot of people are going to have a lot of fears around polling locations, uh, if they're going to have polling locations available, if they're going to be, if they don't get their ballot, they're going to want to go to, to be able to vote in person. Obviously, we know we don't have any sort of centralized voting uh, in America. Everybody makes different decisions. Some states can move around polling places. Some states can't do it the same way. Um, how are people, what are... What happens if there is, once again, like we saw in Wisconsin, um, a disproportionate amount of polling places closing? Is there legal, is there legal uh, recourse for that? What can be done about that? And when will we kind of know how many polling places are we going to have? Can they close them up until almost the election day? Is there, you know, there's no uniform way of knowing this. Yeah, it's one of the reasons I miss Section 5 of the Voting Rights Act so much. Um, right. So, so voting is, is actually, and things like polling places are, for the most part, county-level decisions. Because um, we have a really, really decentralized election system, as you pointed out. And mm -hmm. so, um, you know, a lot of the consolidation of polling places um, is due to the fact that there's a shortage of poll workers. And... Poll sites can um, it may be it may be more difficult in some places to to, to retain poll sites, particularly where uh, there's been a lot of viral spread because they're reluctant to let people in. Um, right. So you know, just on the front end, one of the ways you can help uh, alleviate the issue of or address the issue of polling place consolidation is to become a poll worker. Um, right. It's a it's a worthwhile experience. Help your your fellow Americans vote. Um, and make sure that there's an adequate supply so that we can staff all of the polling places we need to make sure everyone gets to uh, gets to cast a ballot in a really timely way. Um, are there causes of action if there's polling place consolidation? The answer is yes. Um, you know, if if there is, uh, you know, if there's if there's evidence that the consolidation has occurred um, in a way that disproportionately, excuse me, impacts minorities. That's what Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act is for. And so, um, you know, pay attention to where polling places are closing. Are they disproportionately occurring in minority neighborhoods? Um, you know, are, are public transportation routes available? I mean, what are, what are all of the ways in which people could access voting in person? How has that changed? So be cognizant of that. But even if there isn't necessarily uh, a racially disparate impact, you know, you still have a fundamental right to vote under the United States Constitution, um, and that will protect you against uh, polling place consolidation in some instances. But you raised a really good point, which is we might not know until the very last minute. So, right. um, you know, there are generally laws that require the boards of elections, that require secretaries of state, 
um, counties, whoever it is that's administering uh, polling places, to publish them, you know, 45 days, 60 days, 90 days before an election. Um, right. You know, sometimes they, they blow through that. Sometimes they, they change their polling places at the last minute. So stay on them. Keep calling. Make sure you're finding out where your polling place is. Um, you know, and I, I know there's this temptation. I mean, I certainly I feel it all the time. I'm sure everybody else does, too, that, you know, you want to do the big thing, the thing that really saves the election. Make sure lots of people are able to vote. But really start with you. Make sure that you know where your polling place is. Make sure you've checked your registration record. Um, I know people who are incredibly conscientious voters who can't imagine showing up to a poll and not finding their name in the poll book. Um, and all of a sudden they're screwed out of a vote because they were mistakenly perched. Uh, it could happen to you. So make sure you're checking your registration well in advance. Check on your friends, check on your family members. Um, that's where it all starts. Relational organizing is a powerful thing. So even if you're just talking to your circle and they're talking to their circle, you're, you're still having a real impact. Um, so look, one other thing uh, gonna, oh. Yeah, so continue. No, continue. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, you know, I mentioned before state constitutions. Um, you know, we're really just starting to find out now how powerful state constitutional right to, uh, rights to vote can be, right? Mm -hmm. So if you read the United States Constitution, you will not find an express right to vote in there, right? There's no amendment that says, you know, Congress shall make no law restricting the franchise or something like that. Um, mm -hmm. But if you look in your state constitution, there is probably a law out there, uh, a, a provision of the constitution, which gives you an affirmative right to vote. Um, right here, here in New York, it's Article 2, Section 1. Um, so I, I strongly encourage you to read your state constitution and find your right to vote. That may be another opportunity um, for voting rights lawyers to um, sue to protect people over things like polling place consolidations, misinformation, um, mm -hmm. other, other things that, that may uh, hinder people getting to the polls, uh, to the right poll at the right time on election day. And I'm going to post on Twitter after this interview, there's a list of all the Board of Elections, their phone numbers and their websites. So it's on one page. So you guys can go there and go to your state and see who is uh, in charge of that. Um, so speaking of uh, voting purges, um, what a complicated, terrible thing, right? We know there's an aspect that is correct. People die. Some people actually move out of the state not just the county. So we know there is a part that's legitimate, but we also know that there is some that is not. And I do want to, I would like you to, I was reading about um, John, I can't say his name, Hudstead. You know this case very oh, well. Yeah. yeah, Houston. See, yes. It's funny when if I don't like somebody, I can't say their name. It's, it's, so, it is a, it's a personality flaw, like John, the guy that did all the terrible stuff in Ohio. Yeah. So if you could explain that lawsuit and how it's connected to voter purging, I would like people to know a little bit about that before we get into um, other aspects of voter purging. Sure. Uh, I'll try to get the details right, but it's been a little bit since I thought about the facts of Houston specifically. But right, what happens under the National Voter Registration Act is if the if election officials send you a piece of mail and it bounces back to them, um, you know, that might get you listed as, um, as inactive. And in some states, if you're inactive, they will remove you from the poll books. Um, right. 
right? And that and that can be a problem because if you're not at the poll books, you may end up casting a provisional ballot. Your provisional ballot is more likely to be rejected um, than if you cast a you know a regular ballot. Um, right. And so you know, in in oh, it's going to take me a second, but in Ohio, you know, there I think it was it was one notice that was sent out, and then if you didn't vote in subsequent elections. Um, they were able to, to, to purge you at that point. And, right. you know, the idea that inactivity alone should lead to, well, I guess inactivity plus this one notice, but still it's ultimately inactivity. Um, right. To purge you from the rolls is a very serious problem because obviously you have a perfectly good right not to vote. Um, mm-hmm. Voter purging invariably disproportionately, uh, unfortunately affects minorities, um, with generally lower rates of registration and voting. Um, it's a serious issue. We need to really make sure that we're doing the organizing necessary to help uh, bring up everyone's political participation and equalize it. Um, but so in places that have been really aggressive about voter purging, uh, Georgia, obviously, very famously so. There's litigation now uh, in Wisconsin. Um, you know, the, the people who get stricken, again, disproportionately minorities, disproportionately um, Democratic voters. And so... But it even happened here in New York City um, with 200,000 voters in Brooklyn. So, right. Um, right, there's these things can happen anywhere. So it's really, really important to make sure that you are looking after uh, your own voter registration record, that you're looking out for others. If you're a really diligent voter and you find that your registration is missing, you should be concerned because it's probably not unique to you. It may be indicative of right. a large problem. So, so let right. somebody know if you've checked your registration record and it's missing. So what happens if I've checked my voter registration 31 days before the election, then the next day is the cutoff for voter registration. And then I check it just for fun 15 days after that. And now my name's not there. Is there anything that I'm able to do about that? So it depends where you are, right? Uh, in some, in, in, in some states, um, so one of the one of the uh, the nice things about Wisconsin election law is that I don't know why I'm coming to Wisconsin a lot. It's just very top of mind. Um, mm-hmm. Is that they have same day and election day voter registration. So right. even right. if you were purged from the rolls, if you go to Wisconsin, a Wisconsin polling place on election day and they said, "Well, you're not in the poll book, but here, you know, register and cast a ballot," you're good to go. In New York, okay. we have a 25 day registration cutoff. You know, right. and, and your record is missing. You're out of luck. I, I talked to a young woman um, who registered to vote for the first time before the 2016 election, cast a ballot in the 2016 election, cast a ballot in the 2018 election, was looking forward to voting in the primary, uh, a moment of like very, very serious political activity this year in June, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously the streets are filled with protests for racial justice and police accountability, um, mm-hmm. you know, and she wants to get her absentee ballot. She checks 15 days before the election. And they're like, oh, your registration record's gone. We can't send you an absentee ballot. You can re-register, but by the way, you won't be able to vote in this election, right? Uh-huh. So that that sort of unfortunate thing can happen. Is there a recourse above and beyond that? Yeah, look, if you can collect all, all of your um, evidence of your prior voting and mm-hmm. prove to an election judge that you are, in fact, registered to vote, and this is clearly the error of the Board of Elections, you know, you might, you might be able to find a way to get that... Uh, that affidavit ballot counted to get that registration restored. But that's a very tricky process. Um, and I, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, but I admire the folks who are diligent enough 
uh, to pursue it when it comes up. Now, I will say a little game theory. This is not something that we think is going to actually happen this election, that after the, the cutoffs, after the uh, voter registration cutoffs, this is not something that would typically happen, correct? Like, these are people that have already voted in the previous election. This is not, this, this would be egregious, right? If this is something that happened after the registration cutoff. So I, yeah. I don't want to panic people because I, I don't believe that's a regular thing. And that's like, like you, I want to encourage people to check it now before registration ends. Yeah, that's, that, is, that is an entirely sensible recommendation, right? I mean, um, look, is it possible that, you know, deeply devious things could occur after the registration deadline? You know, I wouldn't put it past anybody ever, but uh, mm-hmm. it is unlikely. What's more likely is that, Purging has occurred sometime in the recent past. You, a very active voter who couldn't possibly imagine seeing their registration purged, um, mm-hmm. hasn't checked it in a while because right. you know you've been able to vote without any problems. So, mm-hmm. you know, check it, check it now. You know, just pop, pop onto your your state website and um, and just make sure that you're you're registered and that you're registered at your current address. Right? Maybe you've right. moved around a little bit. Um, you just want to make sure that everything's accurate. So I want to talk about ballot design because it was, I, I saw a tweet the other day and somebody said, okay, I know that Joe Biden's up by 15 points in Florida. I don't want to hear anything about it until I look at the ballot design of Florida. And so we know that there's ballot design issues. We know about 2000 and the hanging chat issue. And then we also know the issue with, just happened in 2018 that we had the senators listed under the instructions. Um, I've been showing a little bit of a ballot video today so people can understand ballot design and, and, and that there's people that specialize in this area. But um, are deceptive practices, is there a legal recourse for that if there's deceptive practices on the ballot? There is. There is. And there are. Um Again, you've got you've got a, a fundamental right to vote in the United States Constitution, and all of the different ways you can conceive of to try and block bear you know, and block people from from casting a ballot, whether it's through physical intimidation and force, through misinformation, consolidating polling places, um, you know, bad bad ballot design, right? I mean, you know, let's let's say they decided to put the entire ballot in like one point three point font. You know, like mm-hmm. that, that would not be okay. Um, right. You know, is it, is it possible? Is it possible? It's certainly it's happened that ballots have been so badly designed as to rise to the level of, um, you know, constitutional or statutory violation. Sure. So, um, you know, be, be cognizant. I, I tell you the, certainly lawyers are going to pay attention to ballot design. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know that everyone's going to catch everything, but they're going to do the best they can. And, Certainly, um, voting rights lawyers have been very, very active this year. There's been a lot of lawsuits. Um, yeah. But, you know, not everybody catches every conceivable thing. But you as a citizen activist, you know, you can pay attention to these things. You can um, watch your Board of Elections commissioners meetings. Um, you know, you can call up the Secretary of State if you're in a state with the Secretary of State. Um, mm. and, and, and ask these questions, right? These are your public servants. You are entitled right. to ask them lots and lots of questions. You can mm. call your state legislature, uh, state legislators, and demand better of them. 
Um, so, you know, I, I want people to understand the, the real power they have as individual activists. Your state legislature, excuse me, your state legislator gets so few calls, right? Mm -hmm. If you and five of your friends call, you're probably moving an issue for a day, you know? Mm -hmm. So um, whether, it's, whether it's about ballot design, whether it's about polling places, whatever it is, you know, just be active, stay on top of it. And don't be afraid to let, um, you know, your elected officials and, and, and your civil servants know uh, that these are things they need to pay attention to also. I agree. And as someone who's on their community board, there's like five people that ever come to those meetings at the most. So you can make a big difference by seriously calling or attending. I want to touch on the census for a moment because something bonkers happened this week. Bonkers or racist. Let's go with racist happened this week. Um, but it was bonkers racist. Exactly. Um, so this week, uh, Trump sounded out a memo saying he wants to leave out unauthorized immigrants. His words from the constitutionally mandated count of every person living in the United States. We all know that this allocates representation in Congress, funding. Is this what legal? How I don't I, how how would that be legal? I don't even know how it would be possible to do that. But if you could explain, I'd love to know. Sure. So it's definitely illegal. And I signed a complaint on Friday suing Donald Trump over it. So Yay! <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm one I'm one of many. Um, there okay. have been lawsuits filed uh, by Common Cause. I don't know if the Lawyers Committee is filing today or uh, tomorrow, but uh, there's, you know, Maldef is working on this. There's a lot of lawsuits going on over this. Um, you know, we were part of, you know, I was part of the team uh, that won the citizenship question lawsuit. and. Um, you know, we've, we're going to be back in front of the same judge on the same issue. Um, so the, the sort of quick and dirty on, on this memo is, yes, it's horribly illegal. Um, right? The Constitution is very clear. You count the whole number of persons, the whole number of persons. It doesn't say, oh, but not undocumented immigrants. Um, right. Right. <laughs> and the practice and the practice of the Census Bureau has been we count everybody. So this is a a radical departure. It is clearly contrary to the plain text of the Constitution. But you also raise a really good point that it's actually not possible to do, right? Yeah. We do not have, um, you know, there's no number <coughs> readily available of, of the undocumented yeah. immigrants in each state. Um, yeah. You know, for good reasons, we do not have a citizenship question on the census. And by the way, a citizenship question would not tell you about immigration status. Right. You would just know citizens and non-citizens. Um, right. But it's important to count everybody because undocumented people are absolutely, of course, people. Even more so, they are Americans. They are entitled to rights and and. and and they pay taxes, and they have mm -hmm. uh, services they avail themselves of. They are mm -hmm. important members of our community, and they deserve every bit to be uh, counted as anybody else. So Absolutely. Uh, there's a number of laws that the president is breaking by threatening to do this, uh, and I think we're going to beat him in court. That's wonderful. I love to hear that. So let's say in 99 days, well, we know with voting by mail, it, it may not be 99 days, but it gets determined, right? But let's say there's a sea change in 99 days and we have a different administration. What Voting Rights Act 
next would you like to see, what would you like to see implemented in those first hundred days of a different administration? We know that this administration is hostile to voting rights, but um, what would you like to see implemented right off the right away while there's opportunity? Yeah, I'd like to see the crown jewel of the, of the Voting Rights Act restored. I'd like to see preclearance back in place. Um, you know, it's, it's, um, it's fitting to be talking about this as we're memorializing uh, Congressman Lewis, mm-hmm. uh, you know, one of the greatest champions of voting rights in U.S. history. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that was the most effective civil rights law in the history of the United States. And mm-hmm. you can see what's happened without it, right? The moment Shelby County comes down... Um, you know, North Carolina, Texas, they start putting back strict voter ID laws. They start rolling back early voting, uh, you know, really going out of their way to try and disenfranchise minority voters. And so, um, you know, I'd like to see preclearance not only back in place, but I'd like to see it expanded because obviously there are more places where we are seeing um, racial discrimination um, in voting. So I think that's that's immensely important. I have the... Um, I can't say I, I, I was like a good friend of Congressman Lewis, although um, he certainly went out of his way to make everybody feel like a friend. But I did have the good fortune to speak to him a number of times, including mm-hmm. uh, we were at the Supreme Court together for Shelby County. And we, um, we had the opportunity to speak uh, in the hall afterwards, uh, after oral argument, after Justice Scalia called the Voting Rights Act a racial entitlement. And I can't imagine anything more absurd and offensive than that. And, yeah. um, you know, a really, a really kind and, 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 and gentle guy, uh, boy, was Congressman Lewis pissed about that. So yeah. I'd very much like to see him win out in the end uh, with, with preclearance restored, with a new coverage formula that really starts to get at the discrimination uh, that still exists in this country. So, um, yeah. That would be great. And would you also like to see, I know that you're a proponent of wanting uh, New York State to have its own Voting Rights Act. Would you like to see this type of proliferation happen as well on the state levels as well as kind of expand their own voting rights? I, I'd say I really would. I mean, I think, I think people don't understand just how powerful their state and local governments can be, um, just how, how much is, is imbued in that state constitutional right to vote. And passing state voting rights laws that go above and beyond that are more protective and that are more um more tailored to the environment in in your particular state um Mm -hmm. so i think i think there's a lot to be done at the state level and at the local level in order to to facilitate the exercise of the right to vote so i am a very big proponent of the new york voting rights act i think it's it's got an opportunity to be sort of a model for other states um Mm -hmm. it, it, it takes voter suppression and vote dilution to task. It expands language access, right? We don't have very, very strong protections for language minorities in federal law. Um, you know, we have such great language diversity in this country and we should be doing everything possible to incorporating, you know, eligible voters of, of all sorts of different language backgrounds in. Um, so I think that's a valuable thing to do. And, it, it includes a preclearance provision for New York. And mm-hmm. I think preclearance is not just good at stopping discrimination. It certainly is. But it's also mm-hmm. good at making states better at running elections because right. it's a way for jurisdictions to think about, well, as I'm making this change, as I'm moving 
a polling place from one main street to two main street, is this going to make anybody worse off? Is this going to make minority voters worse off? If you are, you know, changing the ballot design, if you're doing anything to mess around with the election laws, it just, it gives states a framework in which to be cognizant of the impact of the changes they make to the law so that they're being inclusive, that they are respecting uh, diversity and political participation. That's excellent. And I'm glad you just discussed the language provision has been the topic we've had all day with different groups. Um, with Bernard Alfraga, we talked about it. And uh, I talked about it with NARF, uh, a lawyer who was discussing it with Native voters and how thankful that it exists, but it doesn't go far enough and it needs to be expanded. And, you know. Was it, was it now? Was it? What? Was it now? No. What? Okay. No, I saw I spoke to Jacqueline De Leon today and she was fabulous. And we because they just came out with that new report about um, native voting obstacles. It's about 176 pages. I admitted to her I only got through about 25 before I talked to her, but it was extensive and it really talks about the language provision. So I'm glad that you brought that up again. It's so important. And today I, I saw that a bunch of people chatted with me saying they didn't even know about language provisions and they didn't know how much it affected the election. So we need to, expand, especially in New York uh, state, we need to expand that. So I have two last questions for you because you know, Perry, I could talk to you all day long. You know this. It's you a know this. I love talking to you. Um, I have to, well, I'm talking to Shannon at Watts next, but I need to know two things from you. I need to know um, what would you like the general public to know before the fall election regarding voting rights or voter suppression? And I'd like to know what um, you might see as a, something positive happening about this fall um, or something that worries you. You can go either way. I'm fine with either way. So those yeah. are the two I, I would like to know. Okay. Um... So, oh, and uh, I will say, as a survivor of gun violence, please give my uh, biggest thanks to Shannon Watts, who really is such a wow. advocate. Um, I will so, tell her. So in terms of uh, what can people do, you know, there's, oh, there's so much. You can be such a great um, fighter against voter suppression by first starting with yourself, making sure you're registered and that you're going to go vote. Do that relational organizing. Make sure your family and friends and neighbors are, are, are registered and voting. Um, it's, such a, it's such an easy thing to do, but it's such a powerful thing to do. Um, so that's great. Become an activist. Recognize just how powerful you are. Call up a state legislator. Call up a city council member. Um, just test it out. Test it out how it feels to be an advocate. Um, for better policies, you know, whatever it is that, that, that your particular neighborhood needs, that your county needs, um, try it out. I think you're going to find that you're really you know, just powerful beyond measure. And when I think about uh, in terms of, of, of things I'm optimistic about, I am just floored all the time by the incredible young activists out there. Um, I had an opportunity to be on a panel not that long ago with... Um, young man Sadomir, um, who started an organization called Plus One Vote, and two young women, um, uh, Chelsea Miller from Freedom March NYC, and I'm trying to remember the, the young lady's name, uh, Chelsea, uh, who was at the student chapter of the NAACP, and Congressman okay. Jeffries, and, you know, they were just, I'm just, like, overwhelmed by how incredibly 
successful and competent and, 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 and energetic and aggressive, mm-hmm. but like in the best possible way. Yeah, um, they yeah. are there's champions on the issues, champions for, for, for voting and political participation. So I'm hoping to see, um, you know, us really crack that barrier of youth turnout. Um, yes. You know, so that's, that's what I'm optimistic about. I, I think those are, are perfect parting words because I hope the same. I think that with all the Black Lives Matter protests, I do know and see these advocates and activists connecting uh, the policies and the vote to what they're caring about. So, um, and I really hope that I see that reflected too in the voting booth or voting by mail this fall. So Perry, it's so awesome to talk to you. And you know, I'm going to want to talk to you at least one more time before the election, because I'm sure about 12 more bonkers things is going to happen between now and then, and and people are going to want to have a conversation. So I hope that you'll have a little bit more time for me again in the next 99 days. So. I always, always have time for you, Maya. Thanks so much for doing Thank this. Thank you, Perry. Of course, of course. Invaluable. I appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of your day. Um, try to get sleep at some point in the next 99 days. If you can, I recommend it. <laughs> okay. You take care. Thank you, too. Bye. Thank you for listening to this special season of Obscene election coverage, and voter information. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.